Welcome to the virtual Ward 19 debate, the uh, Beaches East York debate. Uh, it, I'm Matthew, as you guys know. It's this time in history, the podcast. With me, as always, is my co-host, my partner in crime, Ebony. Hey there. And we have our participants today that are candidates running for city council in Ward 19. Uh, Mr. Sebastian Auger, I hope I said that right. Auger. Auger, sorry. Uh, it's okay. Mr. Adam Smith. And Mr. Frank Mara. Um, so I'll give you guys each a chance to introduce yourselves and do a... Um, if you want to talk a, cu a couple of your, your platform points, I'd love to hear it. Uh, why don't we start with, uh, we'll start with Sebastian and then go Adam and then Frank will finish us off. Go ahead, uh, Sebastian. Um, hello, my name is Sebastian OJ. Uh, you can say Augur, that's, that's fine too, but it's actually pronounced OJ. Uh, it's my first time running as a city councillor. Uh, running in Ward 19, the uh, trigger for me to to run um, was my about my own dealings with uh, with the city. I've had several businesses over the years, and the the latest one is a watercraft rental. And I'm I, I'm not here to promote that, so I don't even want to uh, even want to say say the name. But that was the trigger for me, and it's just uh, it's outline. Uh, a lot of problems um, with the city and um, also the city council, the current city councilor, have a lot of problems about that. So that's how that's how it um, it 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 came about. So that so that's how I I am I I, I arrived here today. Um, one of the things that I'm <laughs> I I. I have a big thing against uh, red tape, so that's so that's a that that's a big thing for me. Um, but also, I sort of decided today what was going to be my my number one um, issue to deal with, and it's going to sound a little bit strange. And I know that some of the other candidates are are going to uh, at least agree on 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 some of it. Um, but it's the fact that to me, uh, a big part of the city councilor's job is to have proper customer service and it's not happening right now and that's that's one big thing that i i, I want to resolve because it's the number one thing that i hear i see this everywhere on facebook and the different forums and people i talk i hear a lot of we've been trying to contact a counselor and we've been we've been getting no response response we get <laughs> you do you will get a response if you're issue is in the media so that's something that's uh, that's uh, that's very important to me um, so I want to be available to constituents uh, listen to them and uh, and then what's what's also very important is I as a as a silly counselor you, you don't have the power to resolve uh, world problems so one of my models that I was uh, considering was I want to solve ward problems, not world problems. So I want to 
I want to be there for local stuff first, um, you know, the little things. And also, at first, I thought, well, I'm a business person, and what is that a disadvantage? And then I thought, well, actually, I think it's a, it's a real advantage because I'm used to resolve problems in a very efficient way. There's a problem, solution, you take actions. And then I know about, uh, I know something about uh, customer service. And um, yeah, so so here I am, and um, yeah, local local stuff first. And I don't have any ambition to become the mayor, anything like that. I'm just happy to do the uh, the job of the city councilor, uh, and, and I think that also puts me in an advantage because I don't need to go out and be friends with uh, with the current mayor and you know take some pictures with him and stuff because I one day I would like to be there. I'm just here. To, we have problems to solve. Let's solve them, and that's it. I love that. Thank you, uh, Adam. Go ahead. All right. Thanks. Uh, so yeah, I've lived in the ward for uh, 14 years now. I you know I, I love living here and. And it was through a lot of my involvement with, you know, volunteering and activism and, you know, being part of many different groups that I eventually got an interest in running for council because, you know, through a lot of my involvement, you know, I, I, I ran this group called the Transportation Committee and, you know, I was uh, doing, you know, traffic and transit studies uh, in, in the ward and then part of our cycling advocacy group, 32 Spokes. I was on the board of the Beach BIA for six years. I mean, there's a whole laundry list of things I've done, Meals on Wheels, uh, you know, delivering meals to seniors. And actually, most importantly, in this day and age, um, I run the Beach Community Edible Garden, growing food for our local food bank. Used to be Glen Rhodes Food Bank, now it's called Nourish East End. And, uh, you know, it was through all these activities that, one, I came to identify a lot of, the, you know, the problems and issues we have in our ward and in the city but also realized, you know, how difficult it is when you're on the outside lobbying those in power and, you know, the decision makers to, to get positive change and to get some of these issues addressed. And eventually I just thought, hey, you know, like, uh, you know, I, I see, you know, I'm always the one on the outside lobbying. Why not be the guy on the inside actually making the decision so I can be, you know, firsthand improving some of these issues. And, you know, and that's one of the reasons I'm running for council. You know, I, I've had a really good life. Um, you know, I, I've had a lot of privilege and opportunity in my life and I want everyone to, to know the same, you know, I had, I had, uh, you know, this, a former counselor candidate himself and, and mentor of mine, Neil Sinclair once asked me like, Adam, why are you doing this? And I said, quite simply, because I want everyone to know the kind of life that I've led. I want everyone to know, you know, ample opportunity for success and a, and a high standard of living. And the problem is too many people do not. People are slipping through the cracks and we all know. We've got no food security. Food bank usage is way up. We've got um, issues with uh, inequality and systemic poverty and discrimination. The middle class is shrinking. Housing. I mean, come on. Housing and its unaffordability is, you know, it's a total crisis happening right now. Um, our small business, like look at Queen Street, although this goes throughout the city, but especially Queen Street right now after COVID, our small business retail strips are becoming ghost towns. And, you know, it's really sad. And not just like it's it drags the whole area down when you've got empty storefront after empty storefront after empty storefront transit transit is overloaded it's not so bad since covid things haven't quite picked up but prior to covid transit was bursting at the seams and of course 
traffic congestion as well. You know, we have so many traffic congestions issues in the city. Even without construction, we've got traffic congestion issues. All while, you know, climate change looms over us. And it's not, you know, climate change isn't just temperatures changing in this and that. It's going to be how it affects our food supply, how it affects, again, our stormwater uh, systems in the city. You know, a lot of the development we're doing is causing a lot of issues with drainage and stormwater. And then that, of course, is, is the last issue I want to raise is, you know, this is going to be against the grain of some people, but I'm sorry, we are overdeveloping in Toronto. We have been taking development too far too fast. We haven't allowed our infrastructure to keep up. You know, uh, some of our infrastructure in terms of uh, transportation uh, and, and transit is behind at least 20 years. Look at the Eglinton LRT is, is still delayed in opening. Never mind the fact that, again, our, our, our sewage and stormwater infrastructure cannot handle all the development we're having. You know, um, and, and all of this ties into the fact we have an economic system that requires infinite exponential growth or it collapses. And last time I checked, our planet has finite resources. And it's this kind of, you know, ideology of, of this infinite growth economy that, you know, Toronto can never move into a truly sustainable future if we don't transition into an actual circular economy. And the, the pace we're going at now um, and, and the things we're doing in the city is never going to get us there. In fact, it's moving us in the opposite direction. So, you know, I, I have a vision for our war and for the city. And, um, you know, I, I just want voters to give me the chance to, to actually do something different instead of just maintaining the status quo for corporations and developers. Thank you so much. Uh, Frank, go ahead. Thank you. I'm Frank Mara, running for council in Beaches, East York. Um, <laughs> I'm listening to both um, Sebastian and Adam, and it's it's funny. I almost feel like I'm, a, I'm an amalgam of, of much of their 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 talking points. Uh, like Adam, for example, I, I am convinced that we've gone way too far in the development side of things. Infrastructure is seriously challenged. Beaches is famously known for the flooding that occurs after even the, the smallest downpour. Uh, that is historical, going back decades even. And despite the massive amounts that have been spent on expansion, uh, we're still seeing these same issues. And it's primarily driven by the overdevelopment and the lack of investment in infrastructure. But there is, besides that point, uh, philosophically, do we require this much development to have uh, a livable city? And if we are going to pursue more development, how much does that take away from it remaining a livable city? Many would say we've already crossed the Rubicon there. And I believe we have. Uh, part of my platform is actually to seriously investigate uh, calling for a moratorium or a severe reduction in development plans because every new development is one further step towards the point where we will have potentially a total collapse of all the systems that support everyone in the city, not just the locals, not just at a particular development site, because everything's interconnected. It's, it's rather not well known, I suppose, how much we're, we're tied together and how we're, we're interconnected. Look for, uh, at this sewer uh, system, for example. The one that covers the beaches East York area extends actually quite a bit uh, outside of its boundaries. So we can't remain uh, too locally fixated in the sense that we might have objection to one uh, 
again, proposal for, for a high rise, for example. Uh, but we have to understand that if we're not paying attention to that, then the next one somewhere else down outside the neighborhoods, outside the boundaries of the ward, for example, could be that, that first domino to fall and call, cause a cascading impact everywhere. So I think we're, we're buying in too much into this, this development at all costs uh, approach. I, I can understand why the city has been pursuing it. It's actually been pursuing it for decades. And from my point of view, it's a part of the problem that I hope to address as a counselor because we've had a lot of long-term counselors who've gotten into the habit of groupthink, I believe. We need some fresh ideas, certainly fresh perspectives because without them, we do not move off of this rut that we are treading in today and have been for a while. Uh, most of which has is, is actually been harming the cause of having a more livable city or at least one that can be reasonably enjoyed by most. We'll never have perfection. That's an ideal that is simply that remains an ideal. We have to focus on those things which actually contribute day to day. And in that respect, one of the more immediate ones we've both already been speaking to previously is transportation. Streets are gridlocked, transit lines are gridlocked. Getting around is difficult, frustrating to the point of madness almost. And we have too many consequences, for example, from instituting bike lanes on Woodbine and Danforth. These, while probably nominally good routes for the most part, have come with too many costs that we can't continue to ignore because the fallout has been too widespread. Uh, I know Adam has spoken to this in some of his, his uh, uh, investigations and I agree with him. Uh, they could have been done much better, but at this point, uh, I think we're at an all or nothing uh, uh, tipping point. Uh, I believe Woodbine bike lanes should be gone, uh, horribly underused. Uh, literally from nowhere to nowhere from, from most people. And the consequences of fallout with, with the cut through traffic and uh, <laughs> intersections becoming rather dangerous because sight lines are being compromised and not considered. The focus is, is, is swung too much to cycling and I've got nothing against cycling. I grew up a cyclist actually. <laughs> I actually thank cycling for making me a better driver because it does teach you that you, you know you are a part of a much larger picture and you have to be sensitive and engaged and aware and participating in your own safety we, we hear that message a lot what is safety what are safe streets well safe streets i think starts with education because i think what has resulted from uh, the vision zero program has been too much of a shift away from all users being in uh, closed system and cooperating within that system to one side having more rights or privileges, which it's not a question of earning them or not. Everyone should be safe on the road. There's no doubt of that. But we can't disregard the fact that you have to be your first uh, safety advocate. You can't place your safety in the hands of an unknown third party, you know, some stranger to put all that onus on one group versus another is wrong-headed because the message becomes that certain parts don't have to play by the same 
rules. And that is wrong-headed because it opens up everyone to unacceptable risks that they shouldn't be bargaining for and accepting. Uh, you shouldn't put these groups into conflict. There's no reason to. So my position is that let's eliminate the conflict by taking out the largest contributor to it, the bike lanes off of both Woodbine and Danforth. As I frequently say uh, to cyclists to you know, counter my position is this. You don't have a bike lane from your front door to, every, to everywhere you're going to go on a, this trip or the next. So why expect there to be a bike lane every inch of that trip or distance? You already are dealing with, with, with the unknowns. Why should you give yourself the opportunity to drop that vigilance, that, that awareness and, and uh, contribution to your own safety? And this, I think, is that actually infected the larger position of counsel where it comes to policy that they they choose a side and then ignore the other parts that are affected we can't continue to do that and expect the city to function well we can't have development that ignores infrastructure we can't have transit that doesn't have uh, good management for example the long-running problems with the subway shutdowns for this atc system uh they've gone on far too long. I would push for them to be completed almost immediately, if at all possible. Thank you, Frank, thank you. Um, so we're going to do a, a set of three, um, three sets of questions and you'll be able to debate after each set. Uh, we're gonna start with uh, housing and the housing crisis. Uh, Ebony, if you wanna ask your question first, then I'm gonna ask my question. You guys can answer it together and then we'll have a debate uh, on the, the housing issue um we'll keep the same order for this time so sebastian you'll go first followed by adam followed by frank we'll close it out and then we'll we'll rotate as we go along ebony do you want to ask the question and then i'll ask mine certainly um in your own opinions where should we um get this um space for building a band i'm sorry where should we get the space for building affordable housing um you know for instance should be reappropriate abandoned buildings. You know, where, where are we going to find the place to build them and where are we going to allocate them? And, and my question would be, um, what's your position on rent freezes and or legalization of rooming houses? Uh, go ahead, Sebastian, you have the floor. Uh, okay, that's, uh, that's a lot of questions. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know where uh, it should go, honestly. Uh, there obviously there should there's got to be some some debate about that and i'm i, I i'm not uh, i don't know exactly what are uh, what the options are but what i care about is when we do decide something i want things to happen and to take away all the red tape in making something happen that's that's uh, that's uh, that's what i what what i care about the most um, what was the, uh, the other thing you wanted to know? Your, your position on rent freezes and or uh, legalization of rooming houses. Uh, like, like rent, rent control or rent freezes? Yeah, yeah like, like, uh, like living, like not like uh, business. 
like houses and apartments okay. and stuff like that. Okay. Well, we have this. Uh, there's this uh, organization, uh, Acorn, that have a, they they have a series of of actions they they, they want to take uh, about all this. And all I can say is when when I when I read it, I I agreed with most of what they what they were were saying. So I would I, I would kind of sorry. No, it's okay. Uh, Ebony's just uh, her her her. Her youngster has joined us for this, so I apologize. Uh, continue. It's home okay. for work. So. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> um, yeah, and that's and that, and that's one thing that I I, I want to do. Like, I, I don't want to pretend to be an expert on, on everything, and I'm 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 a firm believer in um, outsourcing the uh, expertise to 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 experts. Um, but like I said, in this case, the, the uh, Acorn um, or organization, I, I pretty much agreed with the, everything that we we're saying. So I would uh, I would go along with what they're what they're saying about uh, about this. So thank you so much, Adam. Go ahead. So I'm uh, sorry. It's a little the audio a little choppy on mine. Just making sure I got the questions right. The first question was, where do we build more affordable housing? And the second question was rent freezes and and uh -huh. what? legalization of rooming houses ah yes okay excellent i thought that's what you were saying um so to the first question uh we don't need to build more affordable housing we need to make current housing more affordable you know we we have uh, according to the city's estimates we got about eight thousand uh homeless people just shy of eight thousand homeless people in toronto that's probably uh, estimates probably on the lighter side um but at the same time the city also estimates we have between, and again, between, between 9,000 and 27,000 vacant units in Toronto. Um, the issue of housing affordability has nothing to do with supply whatsoever. It has everything to do with the loss of rent controls and the financialization and commodification of housing. And that is what we need to combat. Um, and, and when I say combat, I mean, you know, I, a lot of people will, will shudder to think, but the simple fact is the private sector is proving it's investors, speculators, developers, and the combination of all these elements together is what is making housing more unaffordable. There's 81,000 households on the waiting list for TCHC housing. Those 81,000 households aren't out on the street waiting for housing. They have housing. It's just the housing they're in is not affordable to them. So again, I'll repeat, the problem with affordable housing is not like, it's that existing housing is not affordable for all of those forces, uh, you know, combining that I mentioned. So we need to find ways to pry housing out of the hands of the speculators and the investors. And again, these financialized landlords, Berlin voted, uh, Berlin in a referendum to, to expropriate um, their uh, large apartment buildings, their large rental apartment buildings from a bunch of these corporations that were, you know, just raising rent on everyone every chance they get, you know, and, and you look into the investor reports of these, you know, financialized landlords, these big, these big corporate landlords, and they talk about how they actively seek um, above inflation rent increases at every opportunity they get because they're maximizing their dividends for their shareholders. So this is the real problem with affordable housing. It has nothing to do with supply. So, uh, and, and, you know, I am against building new supply. The main reason I'm against building new supply is, again, the impacts on the environment. Um, Toronto, very sneakily, if you will, 
completely excludes pretty much all emissions uh, from development in their uh, greenhouse gas inventory, all emissions, like uh, with the exception of, you know, uh, maybe some of the vehicles as they drive in and out of a site might sort of get counted in their in their traffic models. Otherwise, everything that happens on site, none of those emissions are counted. And more importantly, um, none of the embodied carbon in all of the new materials uh, is counted either. So they're demolishing buildings, uh, building them anew. And, and again, none of those vehicles and, and, and um, emissions on site are counted and neither are the materials. So again, we, Toronto says we're in a climate crisis. They're sure not acting like it when they're going development at any cost attitude. You know, you can't have both. I'm sorry to say, but you cannot be pro-development and be trying to mitigate and climate change. The two are in incompatible in this day and age. They simply are, especially when most of these builds are demolishing existing buildings to build anew. The concrete alone accounts for so many tons of emissions when we're looking at this issue. Not to mention again, that new development um, is, and the hardscaping that comes, there's always a loss of tree canopy. Um, there's always uh, worse stormwater drainage. The, the new super tall buildings in Toronto going in uh, now have to have, and this is again, something no one's talking about. Uh, the city of Toronto had to create a new um, policy for them to have their own cisterns and stormwater management on because the city's infrastructure can't handle it. Um, so that answers the first question. The second question, we need, we don't just need to bring back the rent controls. We lost rent controls. Uh, first, Mike Harris started the ball rolling, um, especially allowing vacancy decontrol, which is where, you know, when, when a tenant vacates of their own volition, the landlord is free to crank up the rent as much as they want. Uh, we need to get rid of vacancy decontrol again. Uh, and then, of course, you know, Mike Harris started, you know, uh, losing our rent controls. And of course, Doug Ford took it, you know, 10 steps further and, and you know, took new buildings out of rent control and a few other rent controls that we lost. Uh, not only do we need these rent controls back, we need to find a way, whether it's legal action or, again, I'm not afraid to say the word expropriation, uh, to pry these properties out of the hands of unscrupulous uh, landlords and, again, corporations who care only about the profits to feed to their shareholders. Uh, in the last part, though, um, Yes, rooming houses, we definitely need to legalize rooming houses. They are that sort of missing piece, you know, sort of small scale, temporary and affordable shelter for people, um, you know, not just people who are homeless, but people who may be transitory and are lower income, you know, or people just trying to get a leg up. There is a, a very much room we need to make for um, rooming houses and we definitely need to properly and, and, and in legalizing them, also regulating them, ensuring that they are proper living spaces for the people there. And that again, you don't have unscrupulous landlords able to sort of run roughshod over people who are struggling and, and need all the leg up we can give them. Thank you so much. Frank, Alex, for one, the um, single room market would be great for domestic violence survivors for one. You were saying um, more than just, you know, unhoused people. And that's another demographic that, you know, would, could greatly benefit from that, single mothers and such. Frank, go ahead. You're up. Yes, thanks again. Uh, Adam Stoll, my thunder here. He pretty much hit all the highlights that I would express, uh, and at least explicitly, um, my first thoughts that I uttered regarding development and, and, and transportation uh, are interconnected. There is a hypocr hypocrisy being practiced at the city and on council about 
wanting to do good by the environment and yet let's let's boost housing let's increase density let's build these super tall structures and overload infrastructure the, the environmental costs of those things are simply non-existent in the city's books i'm a little bit shocked to, to hear adam state that there's actually formally discounted or eliminated in the process but i mean you and i we can clearly see it i mean cement you mentioned steel i mean uh, some of the great distances that some of these materials are being transported from for example that's another part of the equation of what the greenhouse impact yes definitely we need to think uh in a more detailed way my background is in financing counting maybe this will help explain where where i have my position or, or how i come to hold it and one of the talents we are uh, trained to acquire is not just a, a a depth of knowledge, having very you know detailed focus and understanding of an issue from top to bottom, but the breadth of, of a topic or knowledge base, which is to say, don't just look at the house or the tall building, look at the shadow, look at the hydro wires that service it, look at the sewers, look at the roads, they radiate out. In other words, it's not uh, limited to a specific part, everything literally everything is almost entirely interconnected and the problem of council's approach and and one of the things that spurred me to wish to run for council initially back in 2018 is i could see that they were on this path to being uh taking small discrete steps in one breath that went in one direction and in the next do something totally contrary and contradictory we have to have some people on council who are big picture thinkers, integrated thinkers. That's one of the things I think I bring, but most definitely where it comes to development, this is a discussion that has to be held. It's one of the reasons why I propose a moratorium. I, I agree with Adam fully and have uh, uttered this phrase commonly. We do not have a supply problem with housing. Uh, just today as it happens, I was responding to somebody on next door concerning this question because he was challenging my my stated position of, of halting development or lessening density because that's not going to serve to create affordable housing and my comment in reply was well it hasn't worked for the past 15 years what makes you think it'll start working today I like that and now the floor is open uh, for you guys to debate on this topic Sorry, I didn't quite answer the, 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 oh, the next questions about uh, homelessness, or sorry, um, rooming houses and rent freezes. Right, yes. so go ahead. A big yes for both of those. Uh, and, and part of the reason, again, part of that integrated picture I tried to present and, 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 and have made understood is if we had, for example, that building moratorium, uh, I, I uh, say we should examine, uh, so in the same response, one of the things that we've heard the mayor say, for example, and this contradicts Adam slightly in terms of the numbers, but he, he's quoted a much higher number of vacant units, potentially 60,000 vacant units in the city. That is over four years worth of completed housing construction in the city. Can you imagine four years worth of housing supply being forced back onto the market because there's no benefit to hold it empty and speculate on price? because that's what the development impulses of this city have done. They've supported a price spiral because it's uh, you know, a golden path to riches for developers. 
that can take a small square of property into a massive, massive building uh, and, and earn great dollars. They're not doing it for charity, my friends. Sorry, they're not. So this would, I think, A, possibly help would bring rent prices down and B, almost make the whole point of rooming houses moot. But where they are, if they're well-managed, yes, let's have more of them as transitory places to come in and out of different phases of, of one's life. Awesome. And again, sorry, now the floor is open for debate. Go ahead. Anybody start? Sorry, what does that mean? Does that mean we all just you can just you can debate yeah you can debate this topic if you disagree or or any point that you want to make uh well i just wanted to clarify with frank um because again maybe it was choppy i i said the city estimates between nine thousand and twenty seven thousand vacant units so i guess tory was going somewhere in the middle of that with sixteen thousand. no it was um, sixty thousand. but you know i i could talk about this sorry how much 60 six zero he claims oh six Six zero. Oh, no, wow. Six wow. zero. Sixty thousand. Yeah. And he, he claims to have yeah. that. Oh, six thousand. Sixty. No, Sixty thousand. Okay. Sorry. Sorry. Uh, again, I'm having audio <laughs> issues on my side. Apologies. Not a problem. Um, North of 50. How you about know, that? <laughs> okay. There you go. <laughs> it's a big number in any case, right? Uh, it's a very big number in any case. And it would be very helpful, as I said, to just turn it from being empty and unused to someone's home because the financial incentive to hold on to it and speculate has been removed. It's been made doubtful that that strategy will work. Because right now, for example, uh, not to belabor the point too much, uh, the city uh, has approved nine years worth of supply that doesn't have a single shovel in the ground. Why? Why? Because it's it, thought to be... Uh, a better play to hang on to, to for more price increases potentially as supplies deemed to get tighter and tighter. So we need to take out those those speculative uh, uh, bonuses that seem to be built into the process. I mean, word me for example, I'm blue skying here. I would say a development approval is good for two years. You don't use it, you lose it. Stop the speculating in housing. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, there's one thing I'd like to, to raise too, which is obviously going to be such a hot topic and, 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 and it's uh, such a buzzword getting thrown around a lot. And um, this notion of nimbyism that, you know, you cannot have any re reasonable objection to development without being labeled a nimby, you know? And I think, you know, it, that that's just become a way to, again, to, to totally uh sabotage any rational conversation about the pace of development in the city you know like like again are, are are we not allowed to have concerns about the strain on our infrastructure are we not allowed to have concerns about the impact on climate change and the emissions we're adding are we not concerns about again the financialization of housing and the the current domination of investors and uh and and you know housing corporations REITs real estate investment trusts are becoming a huge problem uh, in terms of their ability to monopolize housing. And again, massive pools of investor money. Who's going to be able to outbid these entities? You know, in 20 years, we are going to be either you're going to be wealthy or a renter. 
there will be no, no one, you know, below the, the ultra wealthy who will be able to afford a home or not even just afford because they won't even be available on the market because they'll all have been scooped up by, you know, investors and, and corporations. And, and again, this is not like some conspiracy theory or, or third party thing. The evidence is out there. You know, um, what was it? Um, 40% of our uh, house sales in the last couple of years have gone to investors, not to homeowners, you know, on the ground. And, and if we don't start addressing these inequities, you know, and, and realizing that development is not about providing affordable housing, development is, is about providing profits for, you know, uh, corporations and their shareholders, we're, we're never going to get anywhere um, on this topic, especially when the moment you resist development, there's just nimby, 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 you know, I, I've been starting to say I, I'm a Navy, N-A-N-N-I-A-B-Y. I'm uh, I'm not in any backyard. You know, uh, we need to just take a serious look at development. And you know, even then, I, I have three tactics. I'll just throw this out there before I monopolize any more time. But you know, we need to take development and supply with number one first priority. Do everything possible to open up existing vacancies. We need a potent vacancy tax. 1% is not enough. we got to go at least 3%. Two, the three R's, repair, renovate, retrofit. We need to do everything possible to take existing spaces. And again, it's the only environmentally responsible thing to do in, a, in an era of supposed climate change. Again, do everything we can to utilize uh, existing spaces. And then three, number three, last priority, only when the first two have been exhausted, do we look at adding new supply and building anew. Uh, anything else is just environmentally irresponsible and completely ignoring climate change and carbon emissions. All I can say, Adam, is I agree. Uh, let Sebastian, please uh, chip in. Yeah. I agree Sebastian, with you what guys. Do you, what do you say to the, well, <laughs> I well, agree Sebastian, with you guys. Uh, the, the thing about uh, NIMBYism and, uh, and all that stuff, it just reminded me, like, when... Um, when there's public con consultations about stuff, um, uh, I, I find that it should be a consultation. And then what's happening is, it, 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 what's happening right now is more like, it's not a consulta consultation, it's more like, this is what we're gonna be doing. So all the stuff oh. that you're, that oh, you're yeah, talking- it's a, it's just a placate residence. Not even so much that it's like uh, Sebastian, I think, is, is trying to say it, it's fake consultation. They yeah. come there yeah. with, with this label of consultation, but it's really them dictating to you, to the residents, to the neighbors, yeah. what's going to happen and just suck it up. I mean, I'm yeah. sure we've all had this experience because I think we're all fairly well engaged. I've been involved in uh, locally to me, uh, uh, one of these modular housing sites. And everyone knows my interest in the uh, housing now site the city has in mind for uh, Queen and Coxwell, 1631. Both of these had, I would call them horrid public consultations. The NIMBY word was thrown around gratuitously, for sure. And <laughs> it's, it's very, very ironic that we're talking mostly, for the most part, about, about planning issues. And our counselor is nominally an urban planner. And yet yeah. he's the one who's most on side with all these policies that we are exposing as being pretty destructive and short-sighted and full of holes yeah. in terms of bringing benefits to the community. 
Okay, guys, we're we're gonna we're gonna move well, I, I, sorry, we're just we're gonna move along to our next uh, set of questions. Uh, Ebony, let's change it up. I'll go first, and then you ask your question last. Uh, uh, I feel like I always go last, and maybe my question is uh, focused on more. So let's change that up. Uh, we're gonna talk about crime. So my question is. Um, one of the mayoral candidates, uh, if he wins, wants to bring back carding as a tool for the P Toronto police to exercise again. Uh, and I would love to know your uh, your response to this and and why. And Ebony, you go ahead now. Oh, you're having, oh, there uh, you go. Because my boy is having a bit of a meltdown <laughs> over my stationary utensils. Um, <clears throat> crime. Yes, I would like to hear all of your ideas on how we can reduce crime in neighborhoods, but I want to hear you think like outside the box. I want to hear more than just increased police presence. So like I'm talking about like infrastructure, like how to support community type deal. Like I want to hear your ideas. And then, so now, why don't we start with, we started with Sebastian for the last question. So we'll start with Adam, then we'll go to Frank and Sebastian, you'll finish us off. Go ahead, Adam. Uh, thanks. So, so, you know, multifaceted issue, of course, uh, but I am a supporter of uh, defunding the police, but specifically, again, that, that word always sounds so broad and scary, defund the police. Uh, specifically for me, though, um, we need to get rid of the mounted unit. And the money we save has to go into social programs. We all know that, you know, the, the one of the clearest ways, like it's not about fighting crime. It's not about putting more officers on the streets. It's about preventing crime. It's about having a society where crime doesn't seem like even a good option for people. Um, and one of my things that's in my platform, uh, and one of the things uh, that, you know, again, it, it, there's evidence out there to show how effective it can be, a youth job guarantee, not just a youth job program, I'm running on the idea of a youth job guarantee where anyone between the ages of 12 and 18 who wants employment with the city of Toronto, city of Toronto will be able to provide it. Now, if anybody out there is wondering, well, how are you going to pay for this? How are you going to pay for this? One of my side hobbies for the last decade, I'm actually a bit of an expert in the monetary system in Canada and uh, how currencies and, and money work. And one of my ideas also on my platform is Toronto, well, last, you know, I should say last, last time I ran four years ago as well. Um, I had talked about a public bank for Toronto, an idea that actually Councillor Wong Tam, well, former Councillor Wong Tam, uh, had, had raised and way back when. But now I've realized with the advent of digital currencies, we don't need a whole bank, uh, especially with the complications of integrating it with, you know, a, a bank charter and our current, you know, uh, banking system dollar. We can have a Toronto dollar, a digital currency made by Toronto for Toronto that could fund a youth job program. And the way it would work is, it's quite simple. Um, Toronto creates the currency, it's non-transferable, and then you would pay these youth in these Toronto, and then here's why, now here's the thing, uh, you know, there's been little local currencies tried here and there, BIAs have tried little local currencies, but the reason they don't work um, is because there's no incentive for the retailer to accept this currency and there's not much the retailer can do with the currency when they do it. The difference with this currency, because it's controlled by the city, retailers will like it, you can, the city will accept it as payment for property taxes. That is what gives currency its truest value is whether it's with it. And, 
And the added incentive is you give for every TO dollar, uh, a retailer or landowner, just anyone who has property taxes to pay, um, every TO dollar they pay with their for their property taxes, they get a 1% bonus. Conversely, let's just say this teenager is done their summer job with the city and they want to go off camping up north with their friends. And they're like, well, I, I can't dollars outside of Toronto. You know, so they're only valid in Toronto. I need money to go off camping. They can cash them out for Canadian dollars. Um, but the catch is they lose 1%. So this not only can be a youth job program to employ youth across the city, uh, like, and again, there's so many menial, low-skilled jobs. They can be cleaning parks. They can be visiting the elderly. They can be reading to children in libraries. Like there's, you know, endless jobs they could be doing. Um, and not only uh, does Toronto not need funding for it because Toronto's generating the funding with its own currency, but that generates more localized um, economic activity where those youth are going to finish their job and they're going to go back and they're going to buy stuff in their neighborhood. They're going to buy stuff at their local retailers. And those local retailers are in turn going to go in and cash it in for their property taxes. So in answer to the question with crime, um, one, defund the police a little, uh, starting with the mounted unit. I don't think I finished that thought, but uh, the mounted unit is an obsolete anachronism. It's only good for intimidation and pageantry. It's animal cruelty. I don't know why. I don't know how many. It's not publicly available how many millions of dollars a year they spend on the mounted unit, but eliminate the mounted unit, defund the police, put it into social programs and start a youth job program. I like that. Um, Frank, go ahead. Yes, thanks. Crime and policing is one of my main platforms as well. I mean, in a city this size, it always is going to be one of the top issues, certainly. Uh, Adam's contribution in this, this area is great, I think. Kudos to him. He does certainly have some expertise where he's talking about the, the economy and alternate forms of economic, let's say, uh, creation. Uh, even though I myself have a, a degree in economics, I would not say that this is necessarily always an economic issue. In fact, frequently uh, lower down on the, the reasons why we have crime concerns in this city. It's mainly, mainly social um, disintegration and, and, and uh, disruption, if you will. Much of that we've seen because surprisingly, rather than crime going down during the COVID lockdown, it actually increased in some regards in certain areas. Perhaps murders were down overall because people were more at home, but a lot of the face-to-face uh, -face other type, personal type crimes were in fact up. Assaults, uh, petty theft, break-ins, these things were all up. Where it comes to the Ward 19 specifically, um, there is a proposal out of a uh, massive reevaluation of, of the police budget and operations to consolidate police stations, one being proposed in the ward at Coxwell and Danforth at the TTC Barnes location. This was proposed over five years ago and remains unbuilt, not a single shovel in the ground. It would be a priority of mine to get that underway immediately because while it's being considered and managed by CREATEO as part of a larger redevelopment, which would include housing and maybe some arts contribution and the public library there, uh, there's no reason for it to be stalled. And the reason I say it's important here is one of the things that came out of the report and one of, one of the top concerns every year is the size of the police budget. 
regards to the, the mounted unit, for example, I've heard that the estimated cost of it is about $60 million per year. Uh, that by itself is offensive. Put those horses to pasture, let them enjoy their days outside the city in a proper environment for them to be in existence. An urban environment and horses just aren't compatible. And they're not very effective either. As Adam said, more about pageantry and intimidation. Not a very good a police tool, I think, either. So that aside, why are we having this, this consolidation, which was to yield savings and contribute to the modernization of the police force, which is another societal bugaboo, why we have the defund police uh, movement at all. We, we see them as being archaic, rigid, fixed, and unresponsive and unengaged. Uh, so this, this massive study uh, promises a lot of benefits. But we're not seeing any of it. One of my priorities is move that police station forward. Now, going forward, definitely we have to modernize the police. We have to remember that and realize that, that the police are not uh, babysitters. They can't be there for all of the issues. There are better talents and abilities that could be deployed for a majority of the circumstances that come up that require a response uh, in this area. Not necessarily police, but someone in crisis, for example. And they're making moves towards that, but too slowly, I believe. So let's start with expanding that and making it more uh, autonomous of police as well. Uh, I think uh, police being asked to be a psychologist in the field in a stressful circumstance is dooming everyone connected to it to failure. Now, again, the societal issues, as I said, we talked about uh, the lockdowns. We talked about the negative impacts. We're seeing that in the crime rate right now. We can hope that as things return to normal, that things will settle but long run, we do have to go back to the same question and picture uh, stemming or coming out of development. Uh, everyone's under financial stress because of the, the bigger bite that housing is taking out of their budgets every day. Now, that's added an inflation of late. And you can see why maybe there's strong reasons for people to be engaged in petty crime. Porch thefts are rampant. It's, it's almost comical. It's like they follow these delivery vehicles and police will never solve that for ourselves. We just, we need tools. We need to be given tools and educated on how to better protect ourselves from exposure to these, these types of crimes. You know, don't send your parcels home, send it to your office where if it's staffed or, you know, invest in, you know, getting a secure box on your property. The police can't be wasting time looking after your lost or stolen parcels. And, once that's taken away, then, see, part of the problem is being engaged in crime, even petty crime, pays to some extent. Pays for your drugs. Pays for the other bad habits. If that's taken away, then those people are more likely to step forward to seek treatment because that's a big part of the puzzle that's missing. We're not treating a lot of people who have addictions, whether they be alcohol or drugs. Uh, the conditions for people with mental health uh, issues are horrid. We basically are running an open asylum across this city, and that's wrong. We either have to step up and do it ourselves or get government on site to start funding mental health treatment, seriously, uh, addiction, uh, recovery, another big area. Much of the crime we're seeing, the most annoying, the most pervasive, the most in-your-face type is coming out of these sectors, out of these vectors, if you will. And we have to try to address those uh, 
holistically and in, in their entirety, not just scratch the surface with them as has been done primarily. Thank you so much. Uh, Sebastian, go ahead. Um, I, uh, I agree with Frank and uh, Adam about the mount mounted police. Uh, we probably don't want to spend $6 million on that and uh, let, let these horses enjoy a nice, uh, a nice retirement. Um, nobody's addressed the controversial uh, question about uh, carding. Um, and uh, I suppose maybe because it is controversial. And to that, I would say, to any problems, I, I would, I would want to know, well, it, it, does it work? And especially in, in today's uh, environment, like, it, is it worth the cost? Because a lot of this comes with, it, it's, a big, uh, it's a big can of worms is, you know, it can have accusations of racism and, and stuff like that. So anyway, my quick answer to that would be, no, I don't think it's a, it's a, it's a good idea. Um, at the moment. As far as, as police, um, I made a post on Instagram a couple of days ago, and uh, I, I was just posting a sort of a question about, because uh, people want to know, do you, you want to uh, fund the police, fund or defund the, uh, the police? And to me, uh, I, I very much appreciate what the police uh, fine work that they're doing. Um, I'm not for defunding. Um, I'm, I'm for more funding, but uh, by more funding, what I mean is a better resource allocation uh, within the police. So let's say we keep the same budget. Um, uh, we, we just use the police uh, resources in, in, a, in a more efficient way. And by that, what I mean is just little things that make, make me cringe is uh, we, when I see police officers directing traffic. To me, that is a waste of resources. Same with, we, we're sending the police for uh, mental health crisis and stuff like that. We have mental health specialists that, can better, that are better equipped to deal with, with stuff like that. So to me, that's how I, 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 I see the, uh, the way of increasing the, um, the police funding by outsourcing some of what they're doing to better equipped uh, personnel. Um, so yeah. I love that. And now it's your time, your guys' time to uh, debate this. Uh, I'd love to know, um, Adam and, and Frank, your positions on carding as well, because uh, Sebastian was right. And uh, I'll, um, whoever wants to start, go ahead. Yeah, thank you. Yes. I, I, I did uh, lose that uh, topic in, in my passion for the other side of it. And, and, and Sebastian is right. It, it is a question, and maybe I didn't express it as well as he has, that uh, we need to get efficiency out of the police. As I mentioned earlier, they're rather archaically uh, aligned under a military system um, that does have no place really in today's society. We're not the Wild West, thankfully. And we don't need to keep that mindset. I think it, it hinders a good police relations because let's face it, the police really are nothing without the community. They're an after, after the fact response. We need the before the fact response, which is what uh, I think exactly. Sebastian and, exactly. and Adam Prevention, both, not, yeah. not fighting crime, preventing crime. Exactly. And, um, and, and their role should be more to carding too. Sorry, uh, 
if I could finish. Uh, regarding Cardi, yeah, I, uh, again, it's symbolic and has gotten the taint of being racist, whether it has good or bad elements. I think the public is yeah. not going to accept it one way or another. Uh, there might be reasons to keep profiles that say unknown gangs, but as a broad general tool, absolutely not. It has to be focused. Well, let, let's face it, Harding, Harding is one of the examples of systemic racism in, in the police and, and in their acts that's undeniable. And I have it from the mouth of a friend of mine who's a TPS officer who told me how carding was being abused. And when I say abused, I mean, it became too much about like a quota. Like the more cards you could collect, you know, um, the more, I can't remember what, what it would mean for the officer, but basically it was, it just became a matter of like, how many can you, can you get? And it wasn't really about, you know, uh, controlling crime or monitoring, you know, um, like suspected, you know, individuals. It was just, you know, it was just, uh, again, it was just, it was just became <laughs> racist and pointless and exacerbated existing tensions um, within certain lower income communities, especially racialized lower income communities. Thank you, guys. Um, okay, we're going to move on to our last set of questions, and then we'll do the closing. Um, this topic is going to be City Hall culture. Uh, Ebony, why don't you go first with your question, then I'll ask my question, and then we'll start with uh, Frank, and then Sebastian, and then Adam, you can close us off. Go ahead, Ebony. All right. Um, <clears throat> given the amount of salary that most city counselors receive, do you feel like they are getting too many perks? You know, for example, Parks Pass, uh, TTC Pass, a free parking pass, and even housing subsidiaries. And my question is, uh, due, due to the outcry, the public outcry of a lot of people for her role in the removal of the encampments, a lot of people are calling for Tracy Cook to be fired. She's the city interim manager. How do you respond to this and why? Sorry, who's going to start here? Oh no, Frank, you're up, and then oh, and, that, okay. and then and then Sebastian, and then Adam will close it off. Okay, uh, as to the the city culture, I'm not sure I quite understand what you're leaning towards the so, administration so, or so, the council. Hold on, hold on. So what I mean is like this: the culture down at City Hall, the 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 political temperature, if you will, the the way things are done, the policies. The reason we're all here is because nothing's working, and so I, I'm talking about like a change in culture. Yeah, like that, that's like maybe 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 culture is the wrong word, but like you understand what I'm. Um, I, I think I do. Just repeat the question, if you don't mind. So, so Ebony's question. Go ahead. Oh, the fact that um, you know, perhaps they're out of touch. You know, like the uh, the whole culture disconnect. They they make this much money, um, much more than I believe probably any of us here do, and yeah. that um, they get these free perks on top of it. You know, um, maybe I think the average salary bonus last year was twelve to fourteen thousand dollars in benefits on top of a salary. Right, and then we're talking about free parking and free TTC pass, free even like um housing allowances. So, help with their rent, even though they make a medium amount of money to be able to afford their own housing, and on top of that. And then my question was: they employed a, an interim city manager, Tracy Cook, and ultimately uh, she's she's claimed responsibility for her role in the 
um, which was apparently she's it's the city's role in the removal of the encampments and everything that happened in Lamport and Trinity Bellwoods and a lot of people are, are calling for her to be fired and I was just wondering um, how you would respond to this and why. Okay I got it you let's let's start with the the culture the way things are being done at, at City Hall it's surprising you you mentioned that because it's something that initially and we did touch on it early on at the start where we're talking about how the local council currently is quite unresponsive to most people. Unless they're in, in his clique, they pretty much don't get much attention from him at all, ever, however much they may plead for it. So, yeah, that's definitely something. I and mean, when we've talked about, for example, uh, uh, the, as a, one facet of it, for example, these, these staged public consult, consultations, rather. Yeah, an, another uh, symptom, I think, that they do take... Uh, little heed of what the residents want and my point of view is this residents come first last and always i'm not a slave to city policy if it works for downtown fill your boots if it doesn't work in east york well let's not have any of it there vice versa if it works in east york and doesn't work downtown let's please have it here it doesn't have to be an all or none proposition and this is part of the problem of the culture of city hall it is all or none frequently because they've got these grand plans. They're filled their heads that Toronto is a world-class city and have many, many features, but we don't need those labels to drive our interactions. We don't need those labels to tell us what's next on the agenda. And it feels oftentimes like the city is just filling out some prescribed agenda that is so far removed from residents as to come off as some fairy tale. And I think we see that too often. And it explains, I believe, a great deal of the public apathy and lack of participation. Uh, voter turnout is poor and getting poorer, it seems, with every election cycle. We have to re-engage all residents, not the few who you know, know somebody who knows somebody who can talk to the councillor and get something done quietly. We've had long, long history of that in Toronto, and it has to stop. And it starts with the attitude of the counselor. If you buy into that, you are the problem. If you fight it, you're part of the solution. And I certainly don't buy into anything, uh, you know, 100%. I do my due diligence first, and that's necessary. Now, as to the issue of, of the clearing of, of the encampments and this Susan Cook, and I honestly think this all emanated out of the mayor's office. I think he was taking a lot of uh, public ridicule over it and how it was being handled and the reasons why it existed. And I think he's made this uh, administrator, this uh, civil servant, uh, a scapegoat to some extent. Not that she didn't do so willingly, but you have to understand that they do work at the will of counsel and must take direction of counsel. But to lay the blame entirely at her feet, I would say no. There is more blame to share here than, than has been suggested by that statement because she could not have done all of this on her own, especially in coordination with the police. That definitely had to go through the mayor's office and or the deputy mayors. There, there was a large uh, group of individuals on council who were involved in that uh, up to their necks. So no, I don't think she should be held out solely for the, the, the result there and, and the the damage that we've seen in, in community relations as a result. Thank you so much. Uh, Sebastian, go ahead. 
it's going to be pretty quick. Uh, the uh, Tracy Cook and removal of encamp uh, encampment. Uh, I don't know about the topic to make uh, an informed uh, comment on that. I'll just say this. Uh, I, I, I'm never a fan of being quick on firing people for, you know, just because they they made a mistake and, and whatnot, and it's the easy way out. So I'm, uh, I, I always want to know more about the, uh, the topic, what, what, have they, what have they done and contributed and, and so on. So, um, so that's what I would say about that, about uh, being out of touch and uh, too many perks. Uh, yes, uh, the salaries, all that. I mean, I'm a small business owner. So to me, <laughs> Any perks at all, it's, it, it, it's baffling. <laughs> so when the, everything is paid, the parking, the this, the that, it's, uh, yes, yes, it's too much. So, yeah, that's, Thank you. that's what I have to say about that. Thank you. Adam, go ahead. Thank you. Uh, so in regards to starting off with the perks and, you know, counselors being out of touch and their salaries, et cetera, so, you know, the perks was something that, you know, Rob Ford back in his days was on about when he was still counselor. And he was, I remember there was this video of him counting up all the perks and all the perks. I'm sorry, but those things are a drop in the bucket. Uh, those perks, I do not believe, one, are a strain on the budget. And two, I do not believe those perks really cause counselors to be out of touch. Um, you know, and in terms of their salaries, even too, uh, I'm sorry, but being a counselor is a tough job. You know, any counselor who wants to keep their seat, they're working 60 to 80 hours a week. They are having council meetings that can go till midnight sometimes. Uh, they are out there on their weekends, uh, spending their free time going to events and showing up in the ward. They're holding public consultations. Like the amount of um, involvement I've had, like civic engagement, uh, you know, in the last 12 years, um, I can tell you from witnessing my own counselors, you know, Mary Margaret and Brad Bradford, like I know they work their ass. They're putting in a lot of time. And, you know, uh, Toronto is the largest city in North America. Um, we should expect that our councillors are paid more. Now, did they need their last pay raise? I argue no. Uh, I think that was going a little too far. Um, so, uh, you know, they are maybe slightly overpaid now, but I think it's fair pay for a tough job that requires a lot of energy and a lot of time. Um, however, in terms of being out of touch, if any councillors or, or the mayor are considered out of touch, it's nothing to do with their perks, it's nothing to do with their pay, and everything to do with the fact that behind the scenes, these are partisan uh, elites. These are people, you know, uh, that have affiliations with our large parties, NDP, Conservatives and Liberal councillors. Um, and so if they're out of touch, it's because, again, they're part of a political elite and we're never sort of on the ground people. Uh, you know, our last... Uh, you know, last election in which I, I ran and, and Frank ran as well, we all know it was a two horse race between former MP uh, Matthew Calway, who's NDP, and then all of the liberals and conservatives uh, backing behind Brad Bradford because they did not want another NDP councillor uh, on, on council because the NDP have their own little like caucus on, on Toronto Council. And with the concentration of the wards now being double the size, that partisanship is coming out even more. I'm, I just read an article this morning that it may be another partisan race uh, in Beaches East York because I just found out that Jenny Warden is um, 
affiliated with the NDP and is um, endorsed by Rima Burns McGowan, a former NDP MPP in the area. So it could be again another another partisan race where you know the NDP are behind one, uh, the Liberals and Conservatives will back Brad Bradford again, and uh, and again. So you know, an, an independent who's nonpartisan uh, ends up having less and less of a chance. On top of that, it's not just a matter of being uh, you know a partisan political elite that puts them out of touch. Um, there's also you know again look at look at Mayor Tory as one example. He was born with a silver spoon in his mouth. He's many times over a millionaire, former CEO of Rogers. You know, some of these people are also uh, the corporate elite. Um, and on top of all of that, what pretty much every councillor shares, and not just every councillor, but pretty much every elected person across Canada at every level of government, uh, maybe less so at the municipal level in some places, but what they share is uh, an ideology called neoliberalism. There, there is uh, an underlying ideology to sort of free market thought and, and, you know, the public sector is there to facilitate the private sector. And it is that shared ideology that I think also, and this ideology, it's, this is something they're taught in post-secondary education. Anyone who has an MBA is a neoliberal. Um, these, these, it's that shared ideology that also, I will say, neoliberal ideology means you don't see people as people, you see people as a labor force, people as labor from which wealth can be extracted. And so that, I believe, is, you know, one of the, the, the things that puts them out of touch. In terms of the other question of whose head should roll for the encampment uh, removals, the encampment removals were shameful, shameful, shameful. Like, what a terrible... I'm sorry, talk about kicking people when they're down. And, you know, there was a lot of people who had valid reasons for not being part of the shelter system during that time. I've read a lot of the horror stories, even some of the horror stories in the hotels they opened up during that time. Um, I can't speak to whose head should roll, because as Frank said, um, ultimately, council is the one, you know, that, that that's going to, you know, decide how these things move forward. Um, so I, I but again, I don't know the history of decisions. I don't know if we can lay the blame totally at council's feet or if someone in the bureaucracy was really the push behind that. But without knowing that, again, I, I can't say whose head should roll, but really ultimately any councillor who was in favor of that removal uh, is, is the ones who should be blamed ultimately. Well, the motion was, um, just to give you a little backstory, the motion was presented by Ward 2 councillor Stephen Holliday. Yeah. But ultimately, I agree with Go. you that the buck should stop with the mayor. Yeah. Also, just a quick exactly. note in regards to that last pay raise you mentioned, I believe from 2020 to 2021, that pay raise was 13%, which left Tracy Cook with um, about 308000 I think it was, before, like annually, before benefits, which she received an extra $14,000 worth of benefit. Yes, yeah, that I, I, I can't sense, sense out or sort out how much some of these uh, managers and, and behind the scenes staffers are being paid more than the mayor, multiples more than the councillors who, you know, do take the heat. And here's part of the problem. One thing I've, I've long noted being a lifetime resident of Toronto is people come forward for council and ultimately are elected. Uh, don't necessarily bring any specific skill to the table other than they were somehow seen as uh, favored by the local Red Ward residents. 
I would say to residents on the whole, it shouldn't be a popularity contest. It shouldn't be, as Adam mentions, liberal versus NDP. By the way, Jenny, I think, was upfront about her connections to the NDP, but it's still disconcerting that, that we're still having this battle at the municipal level. This is where it matters the least because, frankly, what people seem to forget is whatever's happening in Ottawa or Queen's Park is not written for Toronto alone. As much as we have this center of the universe mentality that pervades the city, regards Canada anyway, uh, we're not the be all and end all of this country or the province. We're a significant part. Uh, well, let me just part. say one thing there quickly though, Frank, is we, we are the tax revenue cash cow of the province and of the nation. More tax is, dollars flow out of Toronto than anywhere else by far. And, and not nearly enough come back. We're, we're on the same page there. But what I'm driving at is this. We've exalted the civil service to a large degree because counselors who come to the table, get elected, don't bring enough skill, talent, or the thought to ask a more profound and deep probing question than we are getting from the majority of them. They're quite happy to skate on the surface, let the civil service do the grunt work, pay them well for it, and then use them as cover when it turns badly. This I've witnessed, for example, again, back to the Madra housing site, where when the community was pushing back, uh, mm -hmm. and by the, way, the, by the way, the mayor was there for two of the five or six public meetings regarding it, very contentious. Uh, the head, Abby Bond, uh, basically relied on the old nimbyism uh, comment uh, to sort of deflect. But at the end of the day, I'm happy to say I was a part of a process that produced a better result, which I'm thinking can become a model for the entire city going forward. But the point is, it didn't happen through the council or the mayor because they, neither one was pushing, pushing back, poking the holes, asking the questions. That's what we need from councils, from councillors, the residents' representation. Forget the politics. Look at the abilities. Look at the qualification. Look at the attitude. That's what's going to bring us contentment with city politics and civic engagement. The Thank fact you. that they're actually being considered in the process. Thank you so much, Frank. And now we're going to close out. Um, I'll give you guys each a chance to, to say your closing statements. Uh, don't forget to plug your websites. And ultimately, you know, this is going to be on YouTube today, probably by later tonight, because we do have one other debate. But uh, this is your chance to, to speak to the voters and, and let them know why they should vote for you. Why don't we uh, return to our original order? Uh, Sebastian, you'll go first, followed by Adam, and then Frank, you'll finish us off. Uh, Sebastian, go ahead. Hi. Yay. Oh, hello. <laughs> um, okay, so I, I'm just going to add to my uh, little comment uh, that has to do with uh, people being out of touch. Um, because it goes back to my message. And to me, there's a lot of... A lot of this is, goes back to bringing a good customer service to the uh, city council's office because 
what make will make someone uh, city council be in touch is to take the phone calls from uh, from the little people. And, uh, you know, I, I, I really think that my uh, being a small business person is is actually a, a, an asset, uh, something positive. Um, I, I was I was debating if it was a disadvantage and, and I come to the conclusion that it's it's not. I think the way that I, I can do things will be um, efficient. I want to get things done, get rid of uh, red tape, uh, be there for the people uh, and, and take 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 the phone calls. So um, and, and, and then my main message is I want to deal with local issues first. That's that's my main uh, that that's my main message. So thank you very much. Thank you. Adam, go ahead. Thank you. Well, I, I hope it's been clear that, um, you know, as councillor, I will represent the interests of residents to the city and to developers and to any other entity and not the other way around. I'm not here, you know, I'm not here to cheerlead for the policies of the city and, and, and ram them down the throats of residents. And I'm certainly not here to, you know, convince residents that development and all of the issues associated with it uh, can be swept aside um, all in the name of, you know, providing affordable housing when there's nothing to believe that more development is gonna lead to affordable housing. Um, I, you know, I have deep concern for the environment and climate change. That's what drives, you know, a lot of my, my views on this. Um, and again, it's, it's all based in evidence and history. I don't, I don't pluck these things out of the air. Um, I, I feel like we are really seriously heading in the wrong direction. And I have ideas and not just like, you know, law ideas or I have concrete ideas and ways to implement those ideas and fund those ideas. And I hope voters will see the vision that I have and share in that vision. And on October 24th, we'll vote for Adam Smith. My website is adamsmith.to. Please check out my platform. It's incredibly comprehensive. It's probably the most detailed municipal platform you've seen anywhere. And, uh, and, and again, if you have any questions about me or my platform, please don't hesitate. Thank you for listening, everybody. And just a, a quick thank you to Matthew and Ebony for, for offering this, this chance to, to share our views and and have a, a friendly debate. Thank you. And uh, Frank, go ahead and finish us off. Thank you. Yes, uh, just as Adam uh, uh, iterated a moment ago, definitely my uh, position is that residents matter. They come first, first, last, and always, as I said. And I'm here to mediate between uh, city policy and ward residents. Because as I was saying earlier, Policies are great to have. They give you some guideposts to work from, but they can't be absolutes. Absolutes don't work in the real world. Certainly not where it comes to issues that the residents are concerned about. Every neighborhood within our ward is unique and different. It needs a bit of, you know, polish and, and, and maneuvering to make things work. And you only get that happening if you can engage with the people understand their issues and be able to find the support thereafter or create it if it doesn't exist. But you first have to be sensitive to what the residents are um, concerned with. 
and you get that through listening that with to them and staying engaged with them i would be spending far more time in the ward than down at city hall to be sure because my job is to represent you and some things do need to be brought to council from the ward some things that need funding for example that isn't currently there or a change in a program you don't get that happening if you're uh, sitting down at city hall and waiting on the civil servant that i mentioned earlier to come up with a brainstorm because there's something now new and trending in in, in civic politics what's trending in, in civic politics is what the residents want that's what should always be trending first my website is votefrankmar.ca or you can reach out by email at info at votefrankmar.ca thank you for listening and thanks you too to the hosts again thank you and thank you all for coming out uh to my listeners i want to stress voting day is october the 24th uh, early voting opens the 7th to the 14th. Guys, I firmly believe that the only way to affect change is to be part of it. If you're unhappy with your current counselor, that's why we're all here. There's a change that needs to be made. I hope you guys have listened and have enjoyed this debate. And again, thank you to everybody from Ebony and myself. I wish you guys all the luck on your campaign trails. And, and, and I'm excited for the city of Toronto, and I'm excited for the future of Ward 19. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you very much, guys. Take care, everyone.